Welcome to the family with Ellie Nick, Alex Brampernard Rasmussen, Melissa Kirk, <laughs> Andy Brampernard, and Cassie Schrader. What a disaster of a family. Yep. That's all I have to say. As usual. We will be right back. Special guest coming up next with the family. Recently, the four Walzer dealerships in Burnsville, Walzer Subaru, Walzer Honda, Walzer Nissan, and Walzer Mazda encountered a hailstorm. A justice flew in from around the U.S. to handle a claim on what will be over 2,500 new and used cars. They've drastically reduced the pricing on these vehicles, and there are some wonderful bargains available. But here's the deal. I normally hate the hurry-these-won't-last style of marketing, but in this case, it is true. It's not like they'll go into the back lot at night with hammers and make more. I also usually tell people to check them out online, but in the case of slightly damaged cars, you really do have to see them for yourselves. Stop out to Walzer Mazda, Nissan, Honda, and Subaru just south of the Burnsville Mall on Buck Hill Road. If you really want to, you can tell them Tom sent you, but that sounds kind of dumb. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Ooh, Fortune and Son. Really? Great song. It is a great song. He's a good guy, John Fogarty. Really good guy. Great songwriter. Not a big fan of fantasy records, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. Cost him about $50 million. Other than that, though. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Legion Rising, Surviving Combat, and the Scars It Left Behind. Not everyone has pulled shards of another man's skull from the palm of their hand. Not mm-hmm. everyone has stood over the bodies of friends whose lives were lost in an instant. Not everyone has struggled to face their own reflection for years on end, but anyone who has experienced trauma or adversity will resonate with Legion Rising, the unflinchingly honest account of an Army officer's journey through combat in the Iraq War and rising beyond the scars that trauma leaves behind. Our special guest, Jeff Morris, Legion Rising, surviving combat and the scars it left behind. Afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm great, Tom. How are you doing? Uh Really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Oh, it's great to have you on. Thank you for your service. And obviously, uh, it's what a story this is. I, I, I think, boy, I tell you, I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm of the age. I was, I believe, 18, the very last draft uh, during the Vietnam War, um, and then it kind of just went away. So they never did do that draft that year. But um, for me, of course, it was, uh, it was Hollywood uh, wars and. You saw that our guys go over there, and once in a while somebody take a bullet, but never the kind of thing you were talking about. That wasn't shown in movies back in the day. It is now, but it wasn't back then. It was pretty much glamorized back then, I think, if I remember correctly. So um, how, when, did you, when did you start your service? Uh, it was because uh, Cassie mentioned it may have been, had something to do with, with today, 18 years ago. Is that correct? It did. It did. I, in fact, I initially, I graduated college in 1997 and wanted to go to the military then and had some shoulder issues from playing football in college and I couldn't get in. Tried for a couple of years and then so I left Florida, moved out to Texas, started my, what I thought was going to be my career moving forward and still had these, you know, that that side of me that's like, man, you know, the, the what if. And so I just sat down and thought about it, talked to uh, my girlfriend at the time who eventually became uh, my wife. And uh, 
not to sound overdramatic, it was a Tuesday night and I kind of brought it up to her and I said, you're going to hate me for this, but I'm still thinking about trying one more time. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know, let's, let's think about it. And, uh, she grew up in a military family and she said, let's don't make any rash decisions. Well, that was on a Tuesday night and the next Tuesday was September 11th. And so I was in the recruiter's office two, two days after that. God, we all uh, are sitting here today thinking back on that. Some of us are a bit too young to remember it. Uh, uh, no doubt, but but there, most of it. We were sitting. We we're talking about. I also do a morning show in town, and we we're talking about it all all morning long, and how people just completely have lost their view of what really happened. I hear people talking about nine eleven now, two thousand one, things that never happened. Uh, that, <laughs> it, it, do you run into that, Jeff? I do. It's actually pretty. Uh, with the book, I've been contacted by some. Just call them some interesting characters, and <laughs> some are all for you know what I went and did, and you know myself along with many others. Uh, oh, but there's yes. been a few that have you know what were you thinking? And I've heard some some pretty wild conspiracy theories about how I, I fell for the ultimate dupe. So I just I just laugh, and you know people are entitled to their own opinion, I guess. Uh, but I signed up for what I I knew were the right reasons, and I think most uh, most level-headed people understand uh, what happened that day, and. You know, and the, the things that have, and how life has changed, where the world's changed since then. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Our former governor, Jesse Ventura, if I remember correctly, had some conspiracy theories about how the the metal in the building could not have melted if a plane had just hit it, that there were other things involved. And he loves his conspiracy theories anyway, but I, I just. Yeah, he sure does. Well, he hosts a show about that. Yeah. Right? Well, he did. Yeah. Is he, <laughs> does he still? Does yeah. he, oh, he still does? Oh, what? I didn't even no. know that. Yeah, really? I think, he, I think so. I don't know. He, uh. Jeff, uh, I've known I've known Jesse Ventura back in the day when we were both weightlifters, and 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 Jesse and I don't agree on oh ninety nine percent of things. But other than that, <laughs> it's really a smooth sail. Um, I want to sit back and listen to your story because you're so. How old were you uh, on that Tuesday before nine eleven? How how old were you then? Let's see. It was right after I think I I would have just turned twenty seven when I did. So I went in a little bit late. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and by the time, so I I went and started the paperwork then, and just the way, so ironically, uh, quick kind of funny story, so when I wanted to go in out of college, I wanted to go in the Navy, and I grew up in a little beach town in Florida, which is known as the world's luckiest seafood fishing village, and I'm allergic to all seafood, and the Navy (laughs) had no problem with that. There you go. Yeah, yeah, life's great irony there, and so the Navy had no problem with that, but again, it was the shoulder issue that kept me from getting in. Yeah. And so I went and applied for the Army. Uh, they cleared my shoulder right away uh, after two surgeries on it, and they medically disqualified me from entering because of the seafood allergy. Jeez, so really? it ended up, I know, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So I had to go through this long waiver process. It ended up being a little over a year before I shipped off to basic training uh, in October of 2002. So I did basic training, then I had to, that was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Then I had to go to Officer Candidate School of Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, then I went to airborne school. Then my I, I was branched infantry in the army. So then I went to uh, the at the time it was called the infantry officer basic course. Uh, did that. Went to ranger school. Got hurt at ranger school. Uh, you know, saying to get a story or a tab. And unfortunately, I was one of those people with a story. But at least I had a surgery to make it somewhat legitimate. And after I rehabbed and had surgery there at Fort Benning in January of 2004, uh, a couple of months after that. Uh, my duty location was Fort Hood, Texas, with the 1st Cavalry Division. And so I moved out there uh, and uh, I guess it was late March, early April time frame. And when I, when I was in processing into Fort Hood is when the unit was already initially deploying over to Iraq. So I am processed and met the unit over there about a month after everyone else got there. So I got to Iraq and, and Baghdad. My first deployment was uh, early May of 2005. Okay, excellent. So uh, at that point, you're then 31 years old, correct? Uh, 20, so I was 20. Because uh, you were 20. 2004, sorry, sorry. Two, I'm telling you when I came back in 2005. Oh, when you came I got back there in 2004. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. sorry. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> all these dates run together after a while. So, yeah, so I was. Uh, 
early May of 2004 is when I got there. And so I was 29, about to turn 30. Okay. Uh, that August, yeah. Okay. And so I got there, and I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, well, ask very quickly, what do you think drove you to, to not give up? You tried and tried and tried and tried, and, and, and you didn't ever give up on it. What drove you so hard that you wanted to serve your country? I think growing up in a military town, albeit primarily Air Force and, and mm-hmm. some Navy, there just always been that level of respect. I think a lot of young men, uh, you know, and I was your, you know, at least want to be alpha guy. I was a jock and, you know, always, right. you know, one of the next big test. And to me, I guess I just always looked at as military service and especially combat as the ultimate test. I think deep down, it's funny how many people I spoke with, you know, in the years after I joined up who said, man, I, I always wondered if I had what it took. Oh and yeah. I guess I just, I had that, whatever that thing is that some people have is I didn't want to spend the rest of my life saying, what if, and when I was given another opportunity to go for it, uh, I wasn't going to let it pass. Did you grow up in Pensacola? Uh, Destin. Oh, Destin. Yeah, right there then. Okay, yeah, yeah that makes total yep, sense. Yep, so about 45 minutes away. So, yeah, you got the right. Air Force Base there. Absolutely. So so uh, yeah. you, try, you, you just wanted to be – I like that. You described it as an alpha thing. It's an alpha male thing. You just wanted to – wanted to test yourself more than anybody else, which I think is a good thing for people, by the way. Testing yourself is a really good thing rather than just being complacent and let everybody else take the lead. I, I, I admire that about you. Oh, well, thank And uh, I think some of it is I knew I wanted to do it, but it was almost that I needed to prove to myself I could do it type of, type of thing. And that, that maybe wasn't the thing that I admitted out loud. I maybe, so, you know, hey, I'm the kind of guy that's going to go do this. But right. deep down inside, when no one was around, I was kind of asking myself, like, all right, can I do all this? And I don't think fortunately, people, things worked out. I don't think people realize how much work it is that you have to do before you can actually go serve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like um, all the places yeah. he named that yeah. he had to go to school, yeah. and it's yeah. never ending. Until yep. Then you get to go serve. Yeah, yeah. Those are the parts that uh, you reference over to the movie. Those are the things that get left out. You know, you show somebody sign up and – Next thing you know, they're shipping off to combat, and there's there's a lot that goes into it before that. It's so amazing, and I I love to ask guys like you this question: Are you afraid of anything at this point? After having been through that, as I said, pulling another guy's skull bones or shards of his skull out of your palm, is there anything that you're afraid of anymore? Yeah, I, I would say yes. I mean, uh, I try to look at it as. Now, do I maybe react differently? You know, my, my wife will be in the car and a car will swerve and she'll freak out and, <laughs> and she'll kill me for saying that. And, you know, I'll just sort of, uh, There you go. But no, fear, fear is a, I think fear is a, is a healthy thing. And mm-hmm. just because, you know, myself and many others went through this set of life circumstances and experiences, uh, I don't think gives you a blank check just to approach life. I may react to it differently, but right. uh, the, the, the fear... Uh, I, I like that because that's kind of what, uh, you know, part of what made combat so exhilarating. And I think I can speak for a lot of vets here. It's it's scary as heck, but that's what gives you the rush. That's what makes you want to do it again, as crazy yeah. as that sounds, because it makes you feel alive unlike anything I've ever experienced before. So you've tra- you trained but, in – oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, but you, you have to be willing to deal with the ramifications of what come, you know, can come from that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you went through all this training. So how many total months or years of training did you go you you go through? So about eighteen months of 18 October two thousand two, yeah. uh, and then finally shipped off May two thousand four. And uh, yeah, about eighteen eighteen months. Okay, so you arrived where you did you go right to Iraq? Is that where you went? Yeah, so after Fort Hood left, went to, to Baghdad, and I had to meet up with my unit there that I was okay. assigned to. Got there. We were uh, initially got there in the international zone is where the brigade, and I won't throw a lot of military terminology out here. So then I got to my actual unit. Uh, and when I got there, usually the first job, you know, as, a, as an officer and in, in the infantry is you're going to go be an infantry platoon leader. Mm-hmm. But they don't just, you, you kind of got to wait for a platoon to open up as well. So I got there and spent the first couple of months kind of in a support role, just helping out and waiting for a platoon to open up. So I took over my platoon in July of 2004 uh, there in central Baghdad. And we were actually in a really slow part of Baghdad. Like there was no combat going on at all. I mean, we didn't see any action and, uh, 
Well, just kind of got out, went on patrols, and what's drove the average, around. And, what's the average temperature in July in Baghdad? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, people, people, people ask me that. They're just like, well, you know, it, it's a dry heat, isn't it? Yeah. That's <laughs> always the excuse. It's a it's dry, dry heat. heat. Yeah. Like, when it's 115 degrees and you're wearing 60 pounds of stuff, oh. hot, it's hot. I was know? actually involved yeah. with a, 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 a thing called Operation yeah. AC. We sent over about about 100,000 air conditioning units to Iraq at that time. Oh, you did? Yeah, my sure. friend Frankie Mayo, she runs a Operation AC, and they sent over lots of air conditioners Wonderful. and a couple million pair of boots because these guys don't get new boots when you wear your boots out. They only give you yeah, so you much can't. gear, and that's it. That's all you get. Yeah. <laughs> People don't understand yeah. that. You get a pair of boots, and once you wear a hole in them, oh, well, you got a hole in your boots. God. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of crazy, but... So, yeah, so we were started off in that slow area, and then our, our sister company, a part of the bigger unit I was in, they were uh, – so I was living in the international zone but working just south of it. Okay. They were living just north of the international zone and in what was becoming a, a really bad part of, of just really all of Iraq, uh, the Haifa Street area. And so they moved us up in late July, early August, uh, started helping those guys out. just needed a bigger presence up there, and that's when, you know, the – the you-know-what kind of hit the fan, and that's when we started seeing uh, a significant amount of com- combat. You know, probably, I'd say, 60 70% of the time we went on a patrol, something happened. And really? What the, and it was primarily, so what the, so they had this insurgent group that had kind of, uh, as part of al-Qaeda in Iraq, and people were leaving Fallujah, which was really bad at the time, and some of those insurgents were setting up shop there in downtown Baghdad on, on Haifa Street, lucky us. So what they would do is they would just pay the limits of the main street we're on looked nice. I mean, nice buildings. It's where a lot of people with money live, but behind it was just the biggest shanty town slums, raw sewage through the streets, the, some of the poorest people in Baghdad. So they would go and just pay the local kids to harass us with grenades. And, uh, and so that was a lot of what we did. And then every two, three weeks, four weeks, they would organize some big coordinated attack against us. Uh, so it was kind of like clockwork. Uh, from from August through, you know, December, early January time frame. And it was it was constant. And uh, fortunately, you know, so I was a platoon leader. I had 34 men under my command and uh, I didn't lose anyone. Uh, but we did have when that deployment ended uh, so the 34 men, we had 27 Purple Hearts for injury sustained wow. in combat. God, that's amazing. Yeah. Jeff, we need to take yeah. a very quick break, but we'll be right back. You have another segment in you, don't you? Yes, yes. We'll get into the second deployment. It's more about the book stuff as well then. That's okay with you guys. Love it. Absolutely. Be right back just a couple of minutes more with Jeff Morris and the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today. 
or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. We uh, are talking about the book Legion Rising, Surviving Combat and the Scars It Left Behind. Jeff Morris, our very special guest. We've now, uh, we've gone through the international zone to the south, the international zone itself to the, to the north. Where are we headed now, Jeff? Yeah, so we finished that deployment up, came home in, in May of 2005 and just kind of a quick segue in a weird set of circumstances that takes way too long to explain. Uh, I ended up, you know, usually, as, so I was a platoon leader my first deployment as a cap, as a lieutenant. And then usually there's three platoons in a company and a company is led by a captain. And because of some rearranging and just a shortage of personnel, uh, about five months after we redeployed, I got put in command of the sister company. So a bunch of guys that I'd worked with every day. And so we trained up and uh, kind of started getting worse. I guess I took command in October of 2006 and uh, excuse me, October of 2005. And then had a year to train everybody up and then redeployed back to Baghdad in October of 2006. And that's when I uh, went to, I was still in Baghdad this go around and the unit that I led, our, our unit nickname was Legion and hence part of the, the name of the book. Right. And so we, the first deployment was more kind of what you imagine if you watch a Black Hawk down, it was kind of street fighting an enemy you could actually shoot back at. You hear about IEDs in Iraq all the time, but we didn't have a big problem with IEDs that first deployment. But the second deployment, we went to what was kind of universally known as you know the, the IED hotspot for, for all of Iraq at that point. So we got there and <clears throat> kind of got off to an ominous start. The unit we were uh, switching places with. Uh, like their last day before they shipped out, they're kind of their last time to go out and ride with us one more time. Uh, they weren't riding with my company that day with one of our sister companies and got attacked and they lost a guy. Poor you know, people were supposed to be flying to Kuwait later that night to head home. Mm-hmm. And and then my unit, the overall big unit I was a part of, you know, lost somebody the, the very first day, uh, very first week, I guess you could say. So we started... Patrolling, and in the first couple of months, uh, you know, we were hit with some IEDs, uh, but relatively unscathed. And at the time, the enemy had started using these. If you hear the term Iranian roadside bomb, it's a, it's a different kind of IED. It's called an EFP, an explosively formed projectile that, instead of blowing like out and big everywhere, it, it shoots a, a molten slug of copper and can penetrate pretty much any vehicle we have. And once it hits the vehicle, that's what creates the shrapnel and fortunately we didn't have any direct hits with those uh, but on March 15th 2007 uh, one of my lead vehicles was hit by an EFP and no one was hurt uh, but it did disable the vehicle and uh, we were operating even though it's command of a larger unit at this point we operated in smaller elements I, I wasn't out there uh, it was only four of my vehicles at this point and so six guys got out from adjacent vehicles to go set the the Bradley up to be able to tow it out. And that's when a secondary IED went off on the ground that was designed specifically for, for men on the ground. It had ball bearings in it. And unfortunately, uh, four of my men were killed instantly. Uh, Two suffered catastrophic injuries and ended up passing in the following days. Uh, The reason those two lived were heroic actions of a young kid who jumped out, put a tourniquet on one and, gave medical aid to the other and even though they didn't make it he was still kind of the the hero of the day sure and then unfortunately a little less than three weeks after that that young man was shot by an enemy sniper that's uh and it's in the book but i don't mind you know giving out because it's heck it's on the back cover you read about it the the pull in the charge so uh, when we were carrying him in uh, he was still alive uh, after he was shot and, uh, was a big kid and one guy grabbed one leg, one guy grabbed another leg and I held his shoulders and head. The bandage came off and was trying to keep things, you know, uh, from not bleeding, you know, it wasn't doing a whole lot, but anyways, we knew he wasn't going to make it. Uh, and we had called for a helicopter and they were going to medevac him. And so after he left is when I went to clean myself up and 
I was in the mirror because I had to go address the rest of the men and kind of give them an update. And obviously wasn't looking in a good shape. So that's uh, when I was washing my hands and face, I felt this burning sensation on my face. And I looked up and I had this cut. It was real thin, but a little bit of blood was seeping out of it. And kind of from my nose up to about my ear. And then I looked down at my hands and saw that where I had been holding his head, I had small fragments of the skull stuck in my hand. And I'd cut myself open when I was cleaning myself. So yeah, that uh, that that was the thing that messed me up pretty good. Uh, I could imagine. Kind of sent me into a sent me to a dark place for a while, and we ended up losing the eighth man a couple of months after that. And you know, we redeployed and came home in January of 2008. We were there as part of the surge, so it was a 15 month deployment instead of 12 month deployment. And that's when everybody just kind of scattered, and uh, like a lot of guys in in the military and in our situation, my Marriage was kind of on the rocks. My, my ex and I had had a, our, our son, he was born three months before I deployed, you know, so I came home to this 18 month old toddler and thought I'd kind of just put those experiences behind me and focus on being a dad and my relationship. But I was, was pretty wrong. And, uh, you know, the, the part about not being able to face your reflection is uh, for almost five years after that event happened in the, the bathroom in the mirror that day, I, I did anything and everything I could to not look into a mirror because if I did, it just sent me right back to that moment. And uh, so I, I shaved my head. I kept shaving my head. I brushed my teeth in the shower, anything to not look into a mirror because I would see that image uh, from that day. And yeah, I didn't really realize the effect it was having on me. I was, was kind of a, not kind of, I was a hypocrite. I would give my men the advice and tell them to go talk to people. We started seeing a couple of suicides from the unit and, but I never took my own advice. I just tried to put on the, the strong man face and, and be there for the boys. And the fact of the matter is I needed to, I needed someone to kick me in the butt and uh, get me to take care of me before I could be any use or, or any good for anyone else. And fortunately uh, that happened in Christmas of 2011 uh, before I finally realized that I'd gone into a dark place. And, you know, I didn't turn to drugs or alcohol or anything. I just, went into a hole. I didn't do anything to develop or cultivate any relationships of any depth. I, you know, I had a good job and looked good on paper and, you know, put on one heck of an act, but inside I was just empty outside of the, the love for my son. I could see that. Uh, now, Jeff, uh, going back a bit here, how long had you known those men? Uh, uh, and it, what, what do you say? Four five, six of them or more were killed, uh, in that incident. How long had you yeah, known? So, how long had you known them? It varied. Some were guys from the first deployment, uh, so I'd known them for several years now. Okay. Uh, several had been, you know, at least a year uh, with with all of them, if not a little bit longer. You know, but when you spend every waking second with the same group of guys, you, you become really quick or really yeah. close, really yeah. quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I get, you know, I was the officer, and I'm, you know, they were they were the men, and you know they. I'm not claiming we were all best friends, but we had a very tight knit unit and a high level of respect for each other. So it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was devastating. You know, the reason I ask you that, Jeff, is that I, in the last uh, about 18 months, lost four friends. Now, I didn't have their, you know, Sarge, their skull in my hand. I didn't have to watch them die. Um, I just lost four, four friends, guys that I grew up with. You know, some died very young and other, well, they were all pretty young, to tell you the truth. But losing those four guys, I think about it every day still because I will never see them again. But then guys that you'd known for all those years, for several years, watching them be killed, how, how do you ever get over that, Jeff? Yeah, I think in, it's kind of back through my, you know, I, I guess once I went to counseling and you know, I was rocked with survivor's guilt. You know, you have those images you're talking yeah. about in your head, but, yep. you know, then I have to be like, I'm the guy that told him to go do this. And now, right. you know, and I've got to know several other families and, you know, still very close with many of them now. And, you know, one of the kids that died, this first four, uh, we swapped places in that vehicle at the last minute. And, oh, yeah. you know, then I had his mom, you know, when I finally met his mom in person and told her that, you know, sobbing like a little baby, she just grabbed me and, you know, put my head against her chest and just said, you know, that just means God wasn't ready for you yet. He was ready for my Jimmy for reasons I don't understand, but you were, so this, the, the will and strength of that mom to, you know, it's, it's incredible. So yeah, it doesn't go away. I guess 
for me, it was, uh, and, and I talk about a lot in the book, it's, uh, it's the power of choice. It's the acceptance that these things happen to me. Uh, acceptance is not a one-time choice where mm-hmm. I tell all of you on the radio today, hey, I accepted these things, and voila, I'm good. You know, it's, it's something I, I literally, every single day, I wake up in the morning, and after I do my workouts and run, I kind of have a few moments to myself, and that's just where I ask myself of, you know, what's, what's it going to be today? And am I going to choose to focus on the, the privilege of all these experiences and relationships with these men and incredible things we did? Or am I going to let the burden of some of the things that came from it? Uh, and I'd say 98% of the time I make the right choice and go about to honor their names and, you know, be the best husband and father I can be uh, and best man I can be and try to make a difference, you know, but every now and then it's, yeah, every now and then there's, there's tough days around some of the anniversaries. Sure. Uh, it, it can be hard. Uh, but the great thing is I get to wake up and make the choice again the next day, and the next day I'm going to make the right one. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I, I tell you what, it's quite honorable thinking about it because, as I said, losing someone and, and, and watching them uh, die is a whole different deal. Actually holding them and to the point where you walk away with pieces of them, as I said, on your hand. It takes a hell of a struggle. Why do you? Why do you think? Did you always know you had that inner strength, or did you have to find that? I, I think. I think you want to think you have it. Yeah. But until right. you're put in that situation, oh, you don't really know. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's call it fight or flight. Call it whatever you want. I mean, it's. I can't even uh, comprehend it. Yeah. You know, I mean, my head can't even wrap it, around it. You know, but neither could I until I was put in that situation. Neither could anyone. I think we all think we could do it, but until you're in that situation, you don't really know. And I, I tell people, man, I've seen six foot four, two hundred and fifty pound, muscle bound studs, you know, turn and run when the bullets start flying, and then a little yeah. so hundred fifteen pound guy that everyone thought was a nerd turns into Rambo on the battlefield. <laughs> so there's exactly. truly there's truly no preparing for it. There's no training. You yeah, really you, can't. exactly, exactly. And uh, it's scary. People are like, "Well, it's like the first time you get shot at." I'm like, "I was scared as heck, man." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not going to try to sound tough. Yeah, in no, there's in, nothing normal about that. In those years you mentioned, there was a group of guys that were actually army that had a band. I think they were called Frontline or on the front line, and they were actually recording music out there on the front line. Really? Yeah, and they, they, they yeah. put out a bunch of... Are you familiar with them? No, I've heard of it before, but not, not familiar. Yeah, yeah I, I was actually... I was, yeah. I was getting their stuff online at the time, like live. live oh, really? Yeah, live from Iraq, and it, they were really good. And they, were, they, were, they would sit up in like these abandoned buildings and, and record and send it out. <laughs> you know, Jeff... Yeah, I, well, maybe... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I want you to finish because I want to tell you a very quick story, kind of lighten things up a bit. But well, in a way, oh, okay. in a way. Yeah, I was just going to say that unfortunately, where I was working at both deployments, I, I think if we would have started to start, we were already a big enough target. Just playing music and making a lot of noise, I think would have yeah. probably not <laughs> yeah. not ended well for not ended well for the home team. I I just told this story a couple of days ago, but I was 14 years old. My oldest brother, who was nine years older than me, got back from Vietnam. And he is—he was a long-range reconnaissance patrol guy, a LERP. And I didn't really even know what that was. But he came home, and that was back in the day where you didn't have a remote. You had to get up and turn the channel on the television. Oh, right? I remember. <laughs> you, okay, you do remember. Okay, so Jeff, my brother yep. gets home, and he said, Hey, Tommy, would you turn it over to Channel 9? And I went, well, why don't you get up and do it? Now, I'm 14. He's fresh back. Literally, by the way, he was in Vietnam and in our house within 24 hours. Wow. 24 wow. hours, they put him right back into society, which I thought was a big mistake. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's what they did then. But anyway, I said, change it yourself. He goes, I'm just gonna, I just want to ask you again. Just change it. And I said, forget it. I'm not doing it. And then I decided that was not a wise decision, and I got up and ran and locked myself in the bathroom. So he comes and knocks on the door, and he goes, Tommy, open the door. And I said, no. He goes, look, I'm not going to do anything. I just can't have you talking to me like that. Just open the door. I said, no, I'm not opening it. So he opened the door right down the middle of the door, (laughs) if you know what I'm saying. He, he, he cracked the door in two, and he, all he did is he came in and put his hand on my shoulder and said, you can't treat me like that, and turned around and left. And I will never forget that. I mean, he was extremely pissed off, 
but not to the point where he wanted to gut me. And did it, did <laughs> so it, and did it change anything? <laughs> it changed my yeah, attitude. I'll tell you, yeah, it changed my attitude quite a bit. <laughs> I bet. Yes, it I did. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for your service, Jeff. Uh, Legion Rise in the name of the book, Surviving Combat and the Scars It Left Behind. Thank you so much for your service, and thank, thank you for being who you are. It's, it's fantastic. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to come on the show. And, uh, yeah, you know, I hope everybody reads the book. It's, it's a tough read at times. Yeah. Uh, you talk about the things that aren't in the movies. There's, you know, we've already spoken about one today, but there's several others. But I felt it was important for people to, you know, see the things and uh, the things that people don't want to talk about unless they're alone in a dark room with no one else around. I suppose that's true. Uh, yeah, more stories. I'd love to have you back on again, Jeff, because I, I love talking to people like you. People that actually get Absolutely. off the road and do things. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye. Jeff Morris, ladies and gentlemen, the book's called Legion Rising, Surviving Combat, and the Scars It Left Behind. We'll be right back with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It's Tom telling you that you can lose an average of 26.2 pounds on the 40-day weight loss program powered by Nutramost. I lost 92.5 pounds in less than five months. Thanks to the Sheehy Brothers and the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost. And I encourage you to let them help you lose weight as they teach you how to stay healthy and keep that weight off. Take it from me. Having a coach keeps you accountable and it makes achieving your goal so much easier. Let the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost help you. Schedule your immediate consultation or attend the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, August 19th at Jake's in Plymouth. Call now, 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Study data comes from client submitted data to a third party for tracking of daily weight loss and progress through the new to most weight loss programs. See website for full disclaimer details. You know, one of those guys I was talking to him about, and, and I can't even imagine watching your friends die guy after guy after guy after guy. And you've known them for years. That's got to be incredible. You ever seen somebody die? Yes, I have seen somebody die. I mean, not in a, in a controlled environment, like not at a hospice or... Like in an accident or yeah. something? Yeah. yeah. Like sudden, unexpected death? Yeah, it's... I have not. It's not a thrill. I only have... No I have once. I was driving down the road, and car in front of me, looked down at my car stereo, looked back up, oh. and the car was on its roof. Oh. In the exact right in the lane, like it was. But the guy's head was out the window. Oh, Jesus. And uh, scraping it hit, going on? It hit, it hit a, a bridge. It's actually in West Palm. hit a bridge and stopped on an overpass on 95. And it was I was the only car around. There was oh, no God. one else. Oh. So I pulled over, and he had that brown fluid coming out of his head. Mm, yeah, goodbye. Running down the giant. And he was, he was still gargling, and the eyes were still open. And I'm like saying yeah. it's going to be okay, but I knew it was not. You say, are you okay. L.A., Dick? Is that, is that <laughs> no, I, I knew he wasn't going to be okay, but then a couple other cars stopped, and he did die. But mm-hmm. Was he drunk or old? Old. Uh, he was an old guy, yeah. That's, yeah. West Palm Beach, there's a few old drivers that, you know, just they just do things that are like, I just what don't are know how even... the car went upside down. I've, uh, Who knows? It was one second. I looked down the stairs, looked back up, and it was upside down. Mm-hmm. Perfect In perfect lane, like right where it was. <laughs> yeah, one of the guys the I was talking I to Jeff Moore. think of would be like a really old car with high-pressure tires and one blue, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I still amazes me today, but I can't forget that out of my, his face out of my head ever. Said, that's, well, that oh, was, yeah. yeah a long time traumatic. ago. I could yeah. see that. But, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, you have people that enlisted after 9-11 that have dealt with post-traumatic stress disorder, fighting overseas, but even the people that were involved in 9-11 here in New York and at the Pentagon. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even just people watching what was going on that day, oh, absolutely. It, it brings you right back to that feeling that you had watching it live on TV 
And well, not me because I was high on drugs, but oh, I wasn't. <laughs> well, oh, that's nice. Well, that was like when the you were you thinking you were watching an action movie? That or was something? like the peak of my. That you was know, the bad times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was in the, the dark. I was in my own dark hole. Yeah. I know my son. Yeah. My son is doing a. a he, he t- I think he's taking like American history, and they're doing a 9/11 thing, and he had to interview somebody who experienced. You know, that was you know their experiences that day so i sat down with them because on that day i was in my car on my way to pick up my mother because we were supposed to fly to north carolina at like eleven thirty that morning and i heard tom on kq break the news and then i ran into the house and then i saw the God. second plane hit live yeah, I was on my eighth hour freebase, and oh, so, jeez, <laughs> you and Richard Pryor. You had I'm no clue you even what remember. was going on. <laughs> I watched it. I was watching it. So, <laughs> it I, didn't, I didn't really affect. It didn't really register. Yeah. No. That is an amazing story. Unbelievable. You know, one of the guys I was talking about that just died. My friend Roy Matson. He just died about ten days ago. He died of Agent Orange. Died of leukemia from Agent Orange, and he was mm-hmm. a mini gunner. Uh, Isn't it I, amazing that long ago that people are still dying? I was say, it's still <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, it was it was 45 years ago. Yeah, and they're still dying. And they, he died finally uh, from it. But he, um, I didn't know what a minigun was. And then he said, what I do is I basically just aim it and flip a switch. I don't pull a trigger or anything. Right, so like electron- it's like an electronic le- mm-hmm. electric. It's like an electronic machine gun. I think it's electric. It is. It's electric. I think it's actually electric. Probably is electric. Yeah. But he would be on the bottom of a, what, a Huey helicopter, I think is where they put him over the I think they get the really, really hot, too. Yeah, apparently oh, they do get really hot. <laughs> that's, what, said, that's the only limiting factor for how much a minigun can destroy is you keep hot. going for too long, it'll just melt. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. But he said, I was talking to him about it, and he goes, what, what, so what is this you were doing? And he goes, oh, I was a minigunner. He goes, what is that? And we're at a North High football game, right? And he goes, okay, look at this football field. With my minigun, I could put a bullet in every six-inch square on this football field. Mm-hmm. And if there's anybody standing on a football field, they're not full it's anymore, man. Blan- it's blanketed. It just literally shreds everything. It's blanket. And I, I just, man, I, I remember him dealing with that when he got Now blanketed. they have, nobody even has to use that. It just does it itself. Oh, is that, it just does it itself? Yeah, they're no. not even manned anymore. Oh, God. It's just Everything's remote. It's remote, yeah. Oh, yeah. The stories of that stuff, the jungle fighters, the, the long-range reconnaissance patrol people. There was a guy who told me a story about he uh, he was out. Because what they do is they bring them out in these Huey helicopters, and they drop them off, and they fight their way back into camp. Well, Vietnam was the most brutal oh, thing Oh, God, it was is. unbelievable. And it was a thankless job because they came home and they hated me. Oh, they, people spit on them. Yeah, it was hard. A disgusting part of American history. There was a guy that told me, and Alerp told me he, he was on his way back and he was extremely tired. So he reaches into his mess kit, pulls out the fabulous meal for that day, right? And he goes over and he sits down on a log that's covered with moss and he ends up on his back. Because it wasn't a log, it was a body covered yeah. with moss. Oh. So it exploded when he sat on oh, it. It's God. like, oh my God. Can you imagine ever getting over that? No. No. That a body basically you'd exploded do, underneath you? You'd have to do that, whatever that therapy is, where it's like you block out. Yeah. It's like hypnosis, but you. That was you, my first time I ever like, seen a dead body. Remove things from your memory. That's yeah. the only way. First time I ever seen a dead body was a floater in West Palm in a canal. Oh, yeah. And they it was blow all up, blown baby. Up. No, it was oh, all yeah. Up. And they, the they people, blow they, up. They came to get it and they popped it there. And Passolt's uh, been through that. Uh, he was covering a story for Channel 9 and there was a guy I drowning in Mississippi I saw River. it live, man. It was right there. He said they literally walk up with it looks like a broomstick. Yeah, yeah. pop it. They go, boom. Yeah. said the smell is horrible. Horrific. Yeah, past And it was white as white can be. Yeah, yeah. The skin turns white as that piece of paper. Yeah, that's what he said. No, Thank thanks. God I've never been that, gone down well, that, that road. Back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s in West Palm, was kind of a common thing. I mean, Yeah, well, I suppose. Drug, drug addicts? Drug addicts. No, no yeah. drug wars. Drug, oh, yeah. well, so. Did you see just in that yes. storm? They had bricks of cocaine washing up in West Palm Square Beach. groupers, baby. <laughs> Some square, square still, groupers. Still, 2019, you're still washing up. Isn't that amazing? After all this time. But, you know, I... I Great job booking the guests today because it was a wonderful day to have them on. This yeah. being the 18th anniversary of, of 9-11. And then I got well, my congressperson has to say things like, well, somebody did something. 
God, how is she there? And some I planes took know. aim at the towers. Some planes some took planes aim at the towers. Mm-hmm. You know I, what? I, the only thing I can think of, I remember last when she got elected, that election, they were sending buses. They had lines and lines of buses to take anyone from Cedar Riverside to go vote mm-hmm. for free. And they were encouraging, you know, to come vote. Yeah, yep. And they would tr- give you transportation. Right. They wouldn't give me transportation, but give them transportation. Why Why wouldn't they give you transportation? Because you wouldn't vote right. You had to be in Cedar Riverside oh, God. to get free transportation. So basically, it's, it's unless you vote Democrat, you're not getting on the bus. Of course. Why are they allowed to do things like that? No one stops them. And even I, I saw I saw a thing that even Facebook, Google, if they put a reminder out to go vote to everybody on that's in Google, Facebook, Twitter that mm-hmm. they know are Democrats, yeah. that that is you know how many votes that is, the extra mm. twelve thousand. I mean, twelve thousand. Sorry, twelve million. Twelve million extra votes. What? Yes. You know the tough part of twelve million. Tough part of that for me is my mother was an ardent Democrat. She loved being a Democrat. That was a different Democratic Party then. Though. Well, yeah. That was like, what, 80-some years ago when she... I don't know it was 80 years ago because oh. I wasn't around 80 years ago. But... Well, but I mean, how old would she have been well, last month? The, uh, what? She would have been 100. That's okay. right, yeah. She would have well, been so, 99. Yeah, yeah she would well, have been 99. Yeah, yeah. My grandma, yeah, because my grandmother was a year older than your mother. Yeah. But, you know, Michael Bryant's a Democrat and Doug Sprinthal's a Democrat. So there are Democrats that I get along with, but they're reasonable. Well, I, Michael Bryant is. Not Sprinthal. <laughs> <you're not. laughs> no, I you're love going after I, Dougie. I love Dougie, but it, sometimes he gets a little bit. Sometimes. A little bit too His cra- dad cray, was cray. a professor at Harvard. Bit, yeah, cray, exactly. Cray. How do you not you be gotta get pretty far and he, and Doug's a great guy. Doug's a great guy, but he it, is. to me, it's, I, know, I can laugh about things and some people yeah, some people can't laugh about things. That is true. Some people cannot laugh about things. I I have to laugh about everything, otherwise I'd just be. Oh yeah, if angry. I don't. Yeah, me too. I'd always be angry if I didn't yeah, laugh at things. Too. You know. I think if if you're the one of those people that get angrily triggered, just don't get involved with it. Do just you stay think, away from it? Do you think these Hollywood people and these politicians and the and these news people? Understand by saying things in the New York Times like what was it again? They, they planes <laughs> took aim at buildings. Yes. Yeah. You're asking people to develop a hatred that's for other want. people. I don't, that's what you're doing. I don't get it. I and, don't either. And, and do, do, do people like the on the left, like people like Mike and Doug, do they agree with this terminology? No, no, no those two. So do who's doing? Who is? Who is? It's Hollywood with? politicians mm-hmm. and the and uh, the news media. Well, you got to remember too. I mean, we just had a guy on like talking about how. Um, you know, it's not again. It's not us against Muslims, right? right. So it's the same concept right. in a Democratic Party. Like, not every Democrat feels the same no. way as every other no. Democrat. I think it's the media against you know America. Absolutely, pretty much. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I no, absolutely. I think it's. Well, a, I mean, Andy's like proved that multiple times just by like saying, "Hey, like." What was it? The Supreme Court ruled that the media can say whatever New they York want. New York Times versus Sullivan? Yeah, yeah versus like, Sullivan. I mean, he, say whatever he's they want. brought that up yep. multiple times. They can lie to you, and it doesn't matter, unless mm-hmm. you can absolutely prove that they're lying to you. Well, everyone has freedom of speech except for the government. The government does not have freedom of speech. I don't know. They don't? No. They sure do like to operate like they do. But they don't. Yeah, technically they don't, but I mean, unless, unless a rule is enforced, then it doesn't exist. Right. Well, that's very true. That's a good way to put it, actually. Right. No, it's uh, these these things that they say. Well, <laughs> we just talked about this last week, that there are people that absolutely believe that last week was the very first Cat 5 hurricane ever. Yep. <laughs> and they actually believe that because they don't even bother to do the research. Uh, they well, just believe what whatever told. the media told yeah. them. I went through Andrew, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, honestly, I saw I bean steel twist it like a pretzel. Yeah. The fact that a bunch of just like random people, you know, the news lies to them, they believe it, whatever. Yeah. But it people in power believe it too. Or they at least claim to believe they it. They claim it's, to believe it. Yeah, yeah, because it's convenient for them. Well, yeah, I mean. But it's like, what know, does Trump get out of claiming that he's never seen a Cat 5 right. in this country I before? I, I, I actually think he was saying. This storm actually, that storm at one point exceeded Cat 5, and I think he just misspoke. You can't 
exceed Cat Five. You well, can't. technically, I mean, can. When, there's when nothing above can. Cat Five, but right. you can be like, you know. But sustained winds are Cat, Cat five, 5 or 170. Nobody's ever seen anything past. Hmm. 170? Yeah. I thought uh, it was 200. Yeah, no. I think no. it's bigger than that. I think it's 200. I do. I thought they said uh, we, could, we could check it out. Well, they make these well, because, claims about everything. It's well, because, ridiculous. I mean, uh, an EF5 tornado is 200. And so, and you know. I know Andrew tipped over locomotives. Yes, it did. <laughs> so. <laughs> Homestead, Florida didn't do yeah. too well. Yeah, it says here, a Cat 5 consists of storms with sustained winds over 156 miles an hour. Over 156. Yeah, so, I mean, okay. technically, if you get sustained of, you know, 200-something... I mean, it could be considered a Cat 6, even though it doesn't really exist, because it's exist, so rare yeah. that well, it doesn't been, have a need to. Been the first Cat 5 was just last week. It was a, uh, <laughs> I stopped counting one. at 36 of them. Right. Oh, there's been plenty of Cat 5s. They're <laughs> rare in America, but they have happened. Yeah, they have happened. Wasn't, was Andrew a Cat 5? Oh, yeah. I believe so, yeah. I thought it yeah. was, yeah. Andrew was brutal. I thought so. I went the, uh, the next day, I was in a four-wheel drive Jeep, Jeep <clears throat> driving through Homestead. And I'm not kidding you, this na- it was a massive neighborhood. There wasn't even any rubble left. It was just concrete, oh, clean slabs. Oh, really? No cars, no garbage, no Man, nothing. That's a just tough concrete, road. clean slabs, and a, and a couple palm trees bent over. Great uh, rebuilding opportunity. There was nothing left. That's crazy. But yet, every animal at the zoo survived. Hmm. So I have a question oh. for you. Good job, Zoo. Is there anybody that Donald Trump gets along with? Anyone? Not. Jesus, now he fires Michael Bolton or whatever oh. his name is. Michael Bolton. Bolton was a crappy songwriter anyway. He was a terrible songwriter. <laughs> terrible singer, too. Our short, short, he short, only short. gets along with Actually, people I... that agree exactly with him. But that's and, nobody. I, and I think that's pretty much the entire world is like that. Well, if you, knew, if, you knew, if you really knew Bolton's policies he needed to go anyway well you might be right because yeah, i don't he think to, anyone really liked him he wanted no. to kill everyone pretty much yeah he was a war a warmonger he needed to go away anyway yeah, yeah. i don't know the whole thing it, we'll close with this we only have 30 seconds left but uh the results of the uh of the election the 2000 the end of the 2018 congressional election the republican won uh North the election. yeah he did he won awesome yes. But I liked him. When the news reported it, when the Star Tribune reported it, they said he narrowly won, but he showed weakness in the suburbs. He won. Actually, the New York that. Times did the same well, thing. Trump they won. said the, the same thing. They said the narrow their... victory might spell bad news for Donald Trump. Oh my God! Well, Trump went there and rallied They're for mentally him. Mentally ill. <clears throat> day before yesterday. But they said right up until the, the polls closed that the Democrat had a four-point lead. What people are not seeing is how many judges that Trump is putting on oh, the benches. Oh, what, 156 or something now? I or? think it's more Jesus. than that. Jesus. It might be more than that I think it's going to hit 300. Oh, my God. Well, he's just judges. like, anyone who wants to be a judge, come on in. He's putting there you go. judges up like crazy. All right, hell of a show today. Good, good guess. We loved it. And uh, just, you know, focus on the good things in life. Be happy. It's, it's tough. Be happy. Exactly. Talk to you tomorrow with the family.